You're listening to Trek FM. Hi, and welcome to a special supplementary episode of Women at Warp. This is Jara Hodge reporting in, and I have a few more highlights from you to wind up our coverage of Star Trek Las Vegas 2015. Thanks for tuning in. Just a quick housekeeping note before we get started. Um, as always, I need to remind you about the Women at Warp Patreon. Um, this helps us do things like cover conventions and uh, get things like business cards to help spread the word. And we are really, really hoping to be able to have our whole crew, um, not just me, but also Sue, Grace, and Andy at Star Trek Las Vegas 2016 for the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. So if you're able to help support our work, uh, please help head on over to patreon.com slash women at warp. Again, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash women at warp. Thanks so much. So uh, we already aired a few things from Star Trek Las Vegas, including the Women in Voyager panel uh, and interviews that I did with Nana Visitor and Chase Masterson. So uh, best to head into our episode archives, um, either on the Trek FM website or on womenatwarp.com uh, if you haven't yet listened to those. And today uh, we're going to wind up our coverage with a few highlights from the floor, as well as a special exclusive interview with Sarah Gatos, who is the editor of the Star Trek comics for IDW. Um, and so we're going to talk a little bit about her, um, how she got started in the comic book industry um, and how she is trying to bring greater diversity to the Star Trek comics universe. But uh, before that, I just wanted to play you a few clips from the floor. So first of all, um, this is uh, from the one of the TNG panels, uh, which featured uh, Marina Sirtis, Michael Dorn, and Denise Crosby. Now, some of you will know that Marina Sirtis uh, identifies as a feminist, and she has been pretty outspoken on um, some of the issues that she experienced uh, being an actress in Hollywood. And um, one of our listeners, Caitlin, actually got up at the microphone to ask her to talk a little bit more about something she said in um, a- an interview with the Mission Log podcast back in June um, about Gene Roddenberry's attitude towards having three women in the TNG cast. So um, this is what Marina said on stage about that at Star Trek Las Vegas. Hello, I have a question about the changes that happen at the end of season one and into season two of TNG. Like when the girls all went? Exactly. Marina, you had... Just say it, honey. You had an interview that dropped with Mission Log podcast, John Champion, Rod Roddenberry. I did. And you referenced that, and I was wondering if you could talk about if you felt like there was any studio pressure from uh, Gene Roddenberry forcing him his hand to make to cut some of the strong female roles? Yes. <laughs> there was. Thank from Jean, not from the studio. Oh. Not from the studio, from Jean. You don't know this, Denise. What happened? <laughs> what, what show are you talking about? I love like, the fact that I, me, who is the biggest, as you know, the biggest big mouth in Hollywood. People tell me stuff. I don't know why they tell me stuff. <laughs> Just call up the newspapers and tell them. Because I am the biggest gossip in Hollywood. I cannot keep a secret to save my life. This secret I kept. You quitting right. saved my job. Well, you owe me, baby. <laughs> <laughs> 
and then you quit. So I'm so grateful because I, I mean, I wouldn't have wanted you to get fired. No, I didn't want to get fired. Nor was <laughs> you your job, yeah, it had anything to do with me. It worked leaving, out right. So that worked out. See, things are meant to be. Yeah. <laughs> Michael got chief of security, and you got a job. Yeah. <laughs> I got. No, I, I got, I got, uh, I got, you know, I got what I, what I asked for. Yeah, I, you know, moved on. So, and I'm still here. So, yeah. what are we talking? So, everything went, you know, everyone won. Everyone won. Everyone wins. Everybody won. But, not but wait a minute, how did you know that? Who told you that? Angel. It's kind of a weird ass thing to say. Well, no, well, that was, I'm sorry, now, now we're speaking really, you know. Yeah. Like you guys are now in our living room. Right. So, I, mean, I don't, I don't so know what the point. So basically, um, I got a call from Major in August of '87, before we were even on the air. We didn't go on till September. And I got a call from Major on a Saturday afternoon. What are you doing, Marina? And I said nothing. She said, "Okay, get your ass to the Ambassador Hotel, the hotel that Bobby Kennedy was shot in." Yeah, because there was a creation con at that mm -hmm. hotel. And so I went down there. The fans couldn't care less I was there. Our show wasn't on yet. They didn't know me from Adam. They didn't want to know me from Adam. You know, there was that whole antagonism when we first started. And um, Major said, she introduced me to the fans. They were like, okay, get off. We want to talk to Major. I waited for her in the bar, and she said to me, have you started doing conventions yet? And I said, no, I haven't. And she said, start. Immediately. Cut to a couple of years later. And we were, again, at a convention together and we're having a drink. And she said, um, Jean came home one night and said, we've got one too many women on the show. I'm going to have to get rid of one of them. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. And there is a rocket scientist here today. Are you here in the audience? Yeah. 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 There's actually a rocket scientist here today. Um, she, uh, and, I, and, she, and basically, if you think about it, you need a doctor. You need a security chief. You really don't need a therapist. <laughs> so I was out. And um, I knew that because I, uh, my contract shrank. Every time we renegotiated during the first season, I got guaranteed less and less and less and less. And when my agent called Gene Roddenberry, because I said, yeah, I'm getting fired. I know I'm getting fired. And uh, when my agent called Gene Roddenberry and said, what can we do? Is there anything we can do to help Marina at this time? And he just said, I'm sorry, but I have to do what's best for the show. So I knew I was gone. So um, I was like, get me another job, because this one's gone. And then Denise made the momentous decision. And basically, the rest is history. Yeah. Wow. Learn something every day. Yeah. Well, thanks, Denise. You're welcome. <laughs> Do I owe you 10%? Sure. <laughs> You know, these things, I, I, you know, who knows about this stuff? You're just...
there's there's like our world and then there's behind the scenes world and you know all these negotiations are going on that we are not privy to we have no idea you know so you try to you know you try to stay true to yourself and this is a business that um, anything can change overnight I've seen it I, I know I know of actors that have gone to you know those they, they have uh, they have this thing called the upfronts in yeah. you know when you do a, a new TV series and it's all the network sponsors and the networks are there to present their new show. I've seen actors there in their beautiful dresses and tux you know suits that they've bought to attend this dinner and they're they they get tapped on the shoulder by the network president saying, "Don't worry, you're not gonna we're not gonna announce you tonight. The show's not going on." You know at the upfronts. This thing called the upfronts, yeah. which is, you know, right when you're about to announce to the press your new show and introduce your new cast. So it is, it is the strangest, it's weirdest. It's a horrible business. <laughs> it's a horrible it's business a horrible that I wouldn't encourage, I, I, in my own consciousness, couldn't encourage anyone to go into unless it was absolutely so passionate in their heart and soul to be an actor that they couldn't think of doing, they couldn't possibly do anything else. Right. It's funny, I, the, I, did a, I did a soap opera one time, and in the middle of it, um, I, I don't know how many episodes, not that many, 10 episodes, something like that. The producer comes and he says, Michael, you're doing a fabulous job. We love you, your, your, your character is, if you need anything, if you have any questions about the character, please come to my office. Never heard from them again. It was like they never called me back again. I go, wait a minute, wait, a minute, let me go over that. Did I miss like? And by the way, we hate your guts. No, no, no. Was, we love you. You're doing a great job. Listen, you know. Dorothy, there was an actor. No names now, right? But there was an actor who found out he was fired, or the show was cancelled. I can't remember which one it was, because he had borrowed. I think it's a long time ago. He had borrowed a typewriter or something like that. And the props guy came to his house to get it. And he was like, well, can't you wait till I bring it into work? And he's like, oh no, you're not coming into work anymore. Your show's been cancelled. And that's how he found out his show was cancelled. It's crazy. It's insanity. It's insanity. But yeah. you know, the, thing, the funny thing about Denise leaving, which was, which was incredible, is that um, I, don't think that, I don't think that they had any idea about anything. They just, they were, I think they were taken aback by the fact that, that uh, she wanted to go because of course nobody wants to leave, you know, everybody wants to stay, but Denise was passionate about this and I think they looked around and went, God, who are we going to get to be in a chief of security? God, you know, do we have to hire another guy? You know, I, God, you know, <laughs> I think they kind of went, what, what about war? Go, he stands up there. He stands He's up there. He's already in the spot. <laughs> just move him forward. It's not going to cost us anything. Just move him like five feet yeah, forward. Turn him around. There you go. To the left and move him forward. There you go. Brilliant. And, and, and the irony is, was at the end of the first season, I was the only girl left. Yeah. Right? Yes. That's How ironic. How ironic. Uh, next up, probably the biggest draw for this year's Star Trek Las Vegas was Sir Patrick Stewart. Um, he's someone who doesn't 
get out to a ton of conventions because he's so busy with other projects. And this was the first convention I've had a chance to see him at. So I was pretty excited. And uh, I just clipped a part of the Q&A when a convention attendee got up at the microphone to ask him about his work uh, fighting domestic violence and violence against women. And if you do not choke up while you listen to his answer, I don't even know. Yes, my dear. I love you as Captain Picard, but I deeply respect you for your passionate work against domestic violence and for calling on men to prevent violence. I feel there are many smaller acts, attitudes, and images that reflect beliefs that are the underpinnings of violence against women. But often when I point these out, I'm dismissed as an overly sensitive feminist. How do you feel we can create meaningful dialogue in our daily lives, and what do you think it will take to end the cycle of violence against women? Thank you for that question. The most important thing about this issue, did you all hear the question? You did. And, and um, maybe many of you don't know, but I am patron of and work very closely with an organization in the UK called Refuge, uh, which has been in existence for about 30 years in the UK. It was the organization which um, established the very first safe house for women and very often their children who were at risk as a result of abusive behavior by a partner or husband or boyfriend. Um, and since then, they have opened between 30 and 40 safe houses all over the country that does fantastic work in, yeah, give them a round of applause, this is great. Um, in not only helping to take care of women and children, but also through their use of very experienced counselors, uh, therapists, then people who have been victims and who need that kind of support can get it. It didn't exist at all before Refuge created it. They have campaigned too with the police who have been a great factor in the increasing public awareness of domestic violence. Because in the past, a lot of mistakes were made. I can tell you that I myself, in my own home when I was a child, uh, and was a witness to um, abuse from my father on my mother, uh, of hearing a policeman standing in our living room saying to my mother, well, Mrs. Stewart, it makes, takes two to make an argument. No, it doesn't. Or, well, you must have done something to upset him. No, um, my father was an unhappy, frustrated, and angry man. Openness, frankness, and honesty are some of the most important elements in uh, in helping to reduce the incident of domestic violence. In the United Kingdom, we speak about violence and you think, well, somebody gets hit every now and again. No, in the UK, two women every week die at the hands of a husband, partner, boyfriend. Two a week. So it's a very, very serious issue. 
But it's one of those issues which has always been kept under covers. Of course it is. I was ashamed as a child to know that all of our neighbors knew what happened in our house on weekend nights. And so I never spoke about it for decades. I kept it to myself out of shame. Well, I found my voice eventually a few years ago and found that some good could be done by speaking out. And those who run refuge know that it is only by an open discussion of these issues that help can be given. And it starts with men. It starts with us, guys. This, this is not a woman's issue. It's a man's issue. And it has to be, it has to be understood that there is never any excuse for violence. Never. What, what is often unknown about this is that issues of violence in a relationship are not just confined to the back streets or the tenements or, or the, 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 the poorer parts of every city. This problem is at every level of society, in all professions, in all walks of life. And it has to be talked about and addressed. We have been working with the police, and now in the UK, the police are doing a fantastic job of helping those who are in trouble and those who are needing. Um, I, I don't want to be too personal with you, but it, uh, have you had personal experience? Um, I personally was sexually assaulted um, by someone that I knew. I'm very sorry to hear that. You okay? I'm fine. That's wonderful. I'm so glad. Thank you for asking that question, and because it, it is very important to me when I get an opportunity to talk about it. I'm very grateful. She was not a plant, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And finally. Uh, as I said at the beginning, um, we have an interview with Sarah Gatos. I massively appreciate her time. Uh, she is the editor of the Star Trek comics for IDW, uh, the comic book publisher. And she has a, a really interesting history in the comic book industry, uh, as well as she's a longtime Trek fan. And so I talked to her about um, some of the things they have done um, to bring more women in particular into the Star Trek comics universe, uh, as well as their plans for a really cool looking diverse new series that's coming out this fall called Starfleet Academy that will be geared more at a YA audience. So I'm here at Star Trek Las Vegas with Sarah Gatos, who is the editor of the Star Trek comics for IDW. Thanks a lot for taking the time to chat with us. You bet. It's nice to meet you. So I went to your panel yesterday where you talked about the comics, uh, the ongoing uh, series, and some of the crossovers, and some of the upcoming stuff, so we're going to cover that. But first of all, I'm curious about um, how you got started in the comics industry. Uh, sure. So about nine years ago, um, I got out of college, and I thought I wanted to go into publishing. I was lucky enough to live in San Diego where Wildstorm Comics was located, and that's part of DC Comics. Um, 
So they were hiring for a receptionist, and I said, well, I can do that. Uh, but I told them I wanted to work my way up to editorial, which I did over five to seven years. I kind of clawed my way up, and um, everyone there was so nice and supportive. I was able to get training as an editor while I was working as an administrative professional. Um, and then about two years ago, uh, when DC moved to LA, I decided I wanted to go back to San Diego, and I was hired on at IDW. And soon after, I took over the Star Trek books. That's so cool. Um, were you a Star Trek fan before that? Yes. Um, I was a TNG baby. So that was my probably my biggest exposure to Star Trek. Um, the movies in the original series came later. Um, and then Deep Space Nine and all that good stuff. Um, but TNG is definitely, I think, where my Trek heart lies, if I had to pick a place. Cool. For people who are not as familiar with the comic industry, what is like the day-to-day job of a comics editor? Right. A lot of people think, oh, you just copy edit and proofread um, the comic. I do do that, but um, if you want to think of it in terms of movies, I'm kind of the casting director, the producer, the director, the whole thing. So it's developing pitches, um, hiring the writers, hiring the artists, um, and then managing the actual execution of the project from start to finish, and then some amount of marketing after the fact as well, like I'm doing here today at the convention. Cool. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when you came onto the, the Star Trek line, one of the things that happened fairly after, uh, fairly soon after was the production of the Parallel Lives comics uh, with gender swapping. And I wonder yes. if you could tell me a bit about how that happened. Sure. Um, I took over with issue 25. Um, and the way comics works is you plan so far ahead um, due to the way they're produced and sold to retailers that a lot of those issues at the beginning were already kind of set in motion. So when I really started to be able to form and suggest the storylines to the licensors, because of course the licensors have the final say over everything, um, I wanted to do something special to kind of reinvigorate the line and also make my mark a little bit with something that I thought was fun and really different. Um, And I love gender swap everything. Uh, And I also wanted to kind of... um, find a way to add more women characters to the book in a fun kind of organic way if you can call gender swapping organic so yeah I I pitched it as kind of a long shot like wouldn't it be cool if and somehow everyone loved it and went with it and yeah it was so fun and I would love to go back to that universe someday I would love to see more of that universe. I love Jane T. Kirk. I liked how, I think it, it helps kind of show that those traits could be separated from gender yes. in a way. And that I thought that Jane um, showed that she could really embody all the captainly traits of Kirk. But I also liked how she was kind of challenging within Starfleet people underestimating her for being a young woman. Oh, totally. And honestly, that could have been like 10 issues because there's so much that we wanted to dig into, but frankly didn't have time. Like, um... Uh, for example, Lady Spock. Man Spock is kind of reserved and very smart, and of course everyone sees that as being, oh, it's so respectable, but when it's a lady, oh, she's a bitch, or like, you know, there's just so much in there to explore, and there's just not enough room. Yeah, I also really liked Lady Scotty. She was hilarious. (laughs) And Lady Bones. Oh gosh, they were all so great. And Lady Keenzer. I was really into Lady Keenzer as well. Of course, yeah. Um, So with the ongoing series... Uh, there was some discussion yesterday about uh, the things that have been done to bring in more women characters, um, and I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about that. Like, if, do you think that comics sort of provide a little bit more flexibility? Uh, absolutely. Um, of course, when you're working with a licensed comic, there are some set characters that you're you're going to be working with because you know the movies are out there, the TV show is out there. 
I think the TV or the movies have done an okay job with Uhura, but of course we try and bring her more into the forefront. Not only because she's a woman, but she's like the greatest character. Um, but then what we can do behind the scenes a little bit is add um, kind of more B and C level characters like Zara, who's a security officer. And we've introduced Arena, who is maybe possibly a love interest for Chekhov. Um, and that's really fun to do, not only because they're women, but I've always kind of loved the... Um, there was a British show called Upstairs, Downstairs that was kind of like Downton Abbey, where it explored, of course, the, the ladies and the lords, which is great, but also the people who are behind the scenes, like, running the show. Um, my writer, Mike Johnson, and I love that aspect of it. It's like, I love, I love the main cast. I love all of them. But I also want to know about, like... Science Officer 0781 or 18, I can never remember. Um, I want to know about the people that are actually like running the ship behind the scenes. They're just as interesting to me. So we try and sprinkle that in as much as we can. Awesome. Next, I wanted to ask um, so uh, there, we've seen crossovers with Planet of the Apes and Doctor Who. If you got to just like dream a crossover with another series or a comic book hero, oh yeah, because we have Green Lan- Lantern right. as well, right. who would you pick? I know there's probably a lot of options, but maybe like, I don't know, right. a couple that you think would be well, like super, super fun. I know everybody's faces would melt off if we did Star Trek, Star Wars, so obviously <laughs> that would be so much fun. So. Someone was saying that we should do Star Trek Lil Bub, which is a famous internet cat. Yeah, um, I'm also a huge cat fan. Um, So that's another funny one that I thought would be really, really funny. Uh, We get pitches all the time with crossovers, and they're always like, oh, that's fun. That's a fun idea. But then you start thinking about, like, oh, my God, I have to make six issues out of this. Like, is there a story beyond, oh, that's fun? Um, And that's when things get a little complicated. But I don't know. What would would you guys want to see? Um, well, I was trying to think about if there were women superheroes who would be cool for crossovers. Um, I am having trouble thinking of ones that would fit in organically, but maybe Captain Marvel. I yeah, that's what I was thinking yeah. about, too. It's mostly, like, I think it's easier when they're already established as aliens or, like, a space-faring. Yeah. So that's why I think um, my Green Lantern works really well, because it's already kind of based in space exactly. and different universes and stuff like that. Yeah. Because a lot of times when you do crossovers that don't kind of naturally mesh together, yeah. like three of your five issues are explaining how it happened, or yeah, to exactly. like even meet up, and like that gets really boring. Yeah, like I don't see Batgirl or anything. As much <laughs> as I wish it as could. Much, I know. Yeah. Yeah, no, you'd have to have like, oh, be so convoluted just to make that Yeah, happen. exactly. <laughs> or it's just like, oh, it was all a dream, oh, or something no. like that, which is the worst, so. Yes. Crossovers are tricky, but when they work, it's so fun. Yeah, the rest of them just have to stay in our headcanons. Yes, exactly. Yes, like a squirrel girl, Star Trek. <laughs> um, I do not know how that would work. But, but I will um, think about it now. Yeah. yeah. Um, so coming up next is a project that I'm really excited about, which is Starfleet Academy. And um, I'm wondering if you could tell us a bit about um, when that's coming out and what we can expect and why you thought it was important to like gear a comic to sort of a young adult crowd. Yeah, so Starfleet Academy is kind of um, a dream project for me. So like I said, it was a TNG baby, and um, the coolest thing I could possibly think of at that point was being in Starfleet, like being that smart as West Crusher or something like that. Um, that basically seemed like the ultimate so, I also think there's a lot of people my age and younger that are really into Star Trek and maybe are not being talked to directly. Um, 
And as much as I love uh, the novels and our um, our ongoing series, I think there's room for uh, a really different kind of comic that can kind of be more relationship-based, more fun, also with fun action and, and exploration. But this is definitely a look at Trek with more of a YA lens, kind of more of a Batgirl lens. Um, and I think it's perfect that they're at Starfleet to do that because they're still the wonderful characters we know and love, but they're not quite fully formed heroes yet. They're all coming into their own, which I think anybody that loves reading about like Hogwarts or Professor Xavier's um, School for Gifted Children, there's just something about those kind of stories that that younger people can relate to and see themselves in, and then even older people can, can just really enjoy the kind of nostalgia of it, but just seeing the people that they love behind the scenes kind of coming into their own. Um, and it also gives us a lot of chances to uh, put in more female characters as well. We got a preview of some of the characters yesterday. Um, I think that uh, the writer Mike was talking about the protagonist being, uh, or the more or less protagonist, being a, a Vulcan woman. Can you tell me a bit more about her? Yeah, I would say the two mains, so it's split into two, two separate timelines. Um, immediately before the 2009 movie, for what I call the old crew, even though they're not old, and then what I consider like current day Trek, which would be before the 2016 movie, so kind of now-ish. Um, so her is kind of the star of um, the older uh, Trek, and the star of the new Trek is Talon, who's a Vulcan female. Um, she is brilliant, but she wants to be in Starfleet as opposed to being with the Vulcan people, which I think causes her um, a lot of, well, Vulcan discomfort and questioning of oneself. Um, she has to learn how to work in a team, which is something very alien to her. Even though she's brilliant, she knows that if she ever wants to be on, um, like, in command of a ship, she needs to know how to not only work with other people, but um, demand the respect from them so she can command. So this is kind of a story of how she comes into her own, as well as how Uhura, um, also brilliant, comes into her own as well. That's really cool. Um... Are we uh, going to get to see more of Uhura's uh, Orion roommate? <laughs> yes, we are. I forget her name. I also cool. forget her name. I think she has potential. Yeah, she is cool. Um, and not only that, we see a little bit, um, well, more than a little bit, of her and Spock's relationship. Right. This isn't going to be like a kissy smoochy book, even though those books are cool. Um, but it does... The great thing about comics is that there's these little beats in movies that in a two-hour, you know, multi-million-dollar movie, there's just no time for. But comics can kind of dive deep into those little moments that we all know that we love. But this is just kind of a way to explore them more and fall in love with them even more. So when will people be able to get their hands on these comics? So it's four issues um, in store December for the number one issue. And the most thing that the most important thing that you can do if you're excited about this book is to let your comic book retailer know that you're excited about it. The initial orders for comics um, at this point almost make or break a book, and because this is such a different Star Trek book, we really need um, the fans and the people that I'm I'm talking to with this book to let their retailer know that they're excited about it. Because I want this book to be an ongoing. Right now, it's planned for four issues, and Knockwood. My dream would be that these characters and the new crew would be popular enough that we can somehow bring them into the main series book. That would be my dream. 
So it'll it's really uh, only time will tell if we can find our audience, and I really hope we do. Awesome. And um, you were also mentioning yesterday that um, there's a new app where people can get a hold of yes. things. So uh, if you do want to read online, which is also awesome, you can always get it through Comixology. But there's also a new uh, Star Trek comic-only app that IDW has put out. So it's just a little bit easier and more direct of a way to get your Star Trek comics. Uh, and you can download that. I think we're working on the Android one now, but you can definitely get it on iOS. Awesome. Is there anything else you want to share with our listeners before we conclude? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think one of the hardest things for me is I talk to um, Star Trek fans and they don't always remember that there are comics out there um, and that literally we would not exist without our fans. So please, if you haven't um, taken a look at one recently, go to your local store and download one and give it a try and tell your friends, please, because we want to be around forever. These are definitely not the comics, Star Trek comics of the 80s. <laughs> definitely not. Uh, and, you know, those definitely are fun. But um, Mike, our, our writer, and Tony Shustine, our um, regular series artist, have been doing an incredible job. And I really do think that they're getting better and better and better and better with each issue. Uh, and it's a blast to work on. So I'm very lucky. I definitely agree. Uh, so thank you so much, uh, Sarah, for your time. We will uh, be in touch. Yeah. <laughs> so that concludes our coverage of Star Trek Las Vegas 2015. Uh, next year, of course, will be the 50th anniversary. And I know uh, all of us from Women at Warp would love to go, um, as well as a bunch of other Trek FM hosts are planning on uh, attending. Um, as you know, this is only some of the stuff that is happening on the Track FM network. And, uh, we'd like to just give you a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the other Track FM shows. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. So Nicholas Meyer hearing that immediately starts getting inspiration. So like, let's do Chernobyl in space. Let's do the wall comes down in space. And it just sort of comes out of, of, of Nicholas Meyer. You know, let's, let's comment on, you know, you know what, 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 how would Kirk feel about this? And all, all these sorts of issues. Earl Grey. Yeah, really, she's following the Hasbrat, I think, is really what it is. <laughs> Come for the revolution, stay for the Hasbrat. It's got to be fresh Hasbrat. None of that replicates. Like, Daniel's, like, at the watching the end of this episode, like, tears are coming down the face. It's like, no, oh, it's the Hasbrat. It's so spicy. It's what it is. <laughs> the Orb. Well, apparently, and did you find this interesting, Matthew? Apparently... The Navark reports directly to the prophets. Which is awkward because they don't always show up for meetings, so... Right. Yeah. Plus, you never know what time the meeting is really going to be, right? That is true. It could have been yesterday, and you might have missed it. The Ready Room. Do you think this episode would have been so popular and remain a fan favorite if the Enterprise had been overrun with zebra muscles? <laughs> <laughs> to the journey! Why is he wearing the toga? Now, is he going to a frat party or is he being Julius Caesar? Either way, it's weird. Don't you don't you know Tristan's fascination with late 20th century university social groups? Warp 5. It kind of like is akin to um, when fans saw the Galaxy class in The Next Generation for the very first time. And you had a, basically a crew and civilian complement of, what, over a thousand people? About two-thirds of that complement were civilians and their families so you actually did have teachers and scholars and scientists and their extended families on board commentary trek stars 
one of the things that amazes me about the score for Star Trek the Motion Picture is that he he only had 50% of the movie available to him when he scored. So he he was scoring an awful lot to scene missing, scene missing. The 602 Club. Where did he get the cloak from on the other planet? I really, really, really want to know. He shows up uh, with the he, cloak. He, he, he kind of fashioned it out of out of a rudimentary lathe. Uh. <laughs> Literary treks. It's a small point, but I thought it was really interesting to have here in the book because, again, that's what Star Trek Deep Space Nine has really always done for Star Trek, which is kind of make faith okay in the Star Trek universe and show how it's valid. And so I thought that was a really nice, uh, and it, again, it's a it's a tiny point in the book, but I thought it was pretty powerful, at least for me, who is somebody who is a faith. So. Mm-hmm. Axanar, the official podcast. It is the spirit of TOS that matters that's being captured, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the aesthetic. The aesthetic was 1966 to 1969 that had its moment, it had its time, and there's a certain amount of charm still to that but it doesn't allow you to push the narrative forward because that type of aesthetic holds creativity back in my opinion women at warp there's so many things that i got to do yeah i got to i got to pilot the defiant you know i got to sit in the chair that was like that was a big deal yeah and renee would always say nana you know this isn't real I mean, you're you're so excited to be in the chair. It's not actually happening. It's exciting. <laughs> it was exciting. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Finally, uh, we wanted to let you know about the Trek.fm Patreon. So Trek.fm is a listener-supported network, and you can help us keep the Star Trek discussion coming by pledging a donation at patreon.com slash trek.fm. So p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trek.fm. Every little bit helps keep Women at Warp and the other Trek FM podcasts up and running. Uh, it helps, uh, for example, it pays for our audio hosting. So that is fabulous um, and a huge help for us. So once you're done the show, please consider hopping on over to patreon.com slash trek.fm. I'm Jara Hodge. You can find me at trekkiefeminist.tumblr.com or at Jara Penguin on Twitter. And you can also find more Women at Warp stuff on womenatwarp.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at Women at Warp. Live long and prosper.